had to initiate everything. He said, I love you. In my head, I was like, how boss would this be if I got some ass while I ran this play? Finally, can't stall anymore. There's nothing else for me to do to be ready. Losing one's virginity is a seemingly defining moment in life when someone has sex for the first time, marking a transition into perceived adulthood. References to virginity are everywhere, and the message in the media tends to be it's good to be a virgin, but not for too long. In listening to this podcast, you will hear how all different kinds of people lose their virginity. We will talk to people who waited and people who didn't, people who were young and people who were old, people who are heterosexual and people who are homosexual, and honestly, anyone willing to tell their story. Every episode will be different, following each person's experience from how they learned about sex to how their views on sex have changed since that very first time. This is V-Card, the Virginity Podcast. have to answer it because it I mean if it's my parents we need to, to start constructing some stories here so I uh, put my robe on I, I put on my mother's bathrobe because as a 17 year old girl I don't have a bathrobe put on my bathrobe and my at the time best friend is standing at the door and she said hey I was driving by I saw you know saw your car here what are you doing and I said I'm losing my virginity in today's episode we will hear from the woman in that clip we will get to hear both of her virginity experiences, and we will get to know how these experiences shaped her life. This is her story. So how old were you the first time you lost your virginity? Let's see. Um, I would have been 17. It would have been the May, May of my senior year of high school, the day after prom. What year was that? 1988. It's a different century, you know. I lost my virginity last century. So after mm-hmm. prom... Um, so it was, was it with your prom date? It was, which made it easier. I didn't have to go find someone right afterward. But yeah, um, he'd encouraged it the night of prom, and I managed to put him off for about 16 hours. What kind of person were you like at that age? Uh, kind of a shell of myself. Um, I, was, I was pretty similar. I um, was pretty, you know, did well in school, was intelligent, was confident. I had a really hard time emotionally connecting with people, so it tended to be a little bit, uh, a little bit brusque, and didn't have a lot of uh, soft sides to me. Uh, which reason for that will probably be made clear later. How did you connect with your prom date? Uh, how when we initially met? Yeah, we had met in um, in school. We had some friends in common. He was a musician. I was in. Uh, I sang. So I was involved in the theater and the arts, and we had some friends in common. He was actually dating a woman and a girl, woman, uh, a woman in one of my classes. They broke up, and he expressed some interest in me. It didn't really strike me to take her thoughts into consideration, and so we just began dating. And that had been the previous, I guess, the previous fall, on and off. It was kind of an on and off thing. Was prom a big deal at your high school? You know, it was. I I think I was probably so separated from the social haves, but wasn't truly a have-not, which has its own cachet, that I wasn't quite aware of how impactful it was. I knew I would go, 
uh, he was a year behind me, so he was a junior, but uh, a few months older than I was because I was a year young. How long had you guys been dating before prom? Oh my gosh. Um, we had dated a little bit in the fall and then probably reconnected maybe early that spring. So maybe a couple months. He was very sexually experienced. How did you know that? He talked about it, but not in a way that was at all condescending or intended to, to steer things anyway. He was never pressured me into anything. He mentioned it because as he did things or we did things that were new for me, he would kind of explain what was going on based on his previous experience. Um, had you been in other relationships in high school before? Yes, not one that kind of put a flag on the mountain like this, but yeah, I had been in a few. Tell me about him and what his personality was like and maybe what you liked about him. I'm, I'm smiling, listeners, because he was not at the time anyone you would have connected me with. I was very academic, academically focused. He was not in honors classes. I think my mother was slightly concerned about his future in involving some sort of correctional institution. And my aunt also taught at the school. My aunt's opinion is very important to me. And she also expressed concern about the pairing, but in a very gentle way. I think she realized we were 17. Hopefully it didn't matter about the quality of the pairing. He was in the band, marching band. He had a little bit of a rough home situation. I didn't really know that much else about him. Wasn't much of a reader, which also becomes kind of interesting later when he turned into one of the most avid readers as an adult male that I know. I will I will spoil by saying he's a married father of three and still plays in a band and appears to be wonderful, sensitive human being. So take that correctional institution system. You didn't get this one. What kind of things did you guys do together in high school while you were dating? We made out a lot, hung out with his friends. I'm stumped to come up with other, I think we went to the mall. Like typical high school, just hanging around. Just hanging around. There was not really much in the way of drinking, smoking, drugs. That wasn't really anyone's scene. So leading up to prom, you guys know you're going to prom. Uh, has it crossed your mind that you are interested in having sex? It has. And at that point, I'm very interested from a clinical sense, which should probably be a red flag for those of you out there for whom it is strictly a clinical process. I was very interested in... I knew that my, I knew that my body reacted in certain ways and wanted sex. I didn't necessarily need it to be with him. But I said, well, he's convenient and he's a very nice person. I trust him. Let's do this thing. Let's get it done. So you mentioned earlier that he wanted to do a prom night, but you stalled for 16 hours. Tell me a little bit more about that whole situation. Sure. After prom, a bunch of us went back actually to one of my friend's houses. She had a beautiful piece of land near a farm. And we were all running around. I, we, I think we were like playing tag or something. And so we were near a barn and he suggested that. And I was like, you know, this doesn't seem ideal for a number of reasons. So he didn't pressure me again and I just put it off. And I, I saw him the next day as I'd planned to at my house. So I was able to get away from the kind of haystack environment. 
even though for you it was clinical, you still had a an image in your head that a haystack environment was not. It seemed itchy. It seemed itchy. itchy. Yeah. So that was also still just like a, the physicalness of this. Yes. Yes. Doesn't seem, but it had. There weren't any romantic sort of ideals about it that you had. Nope. None at all. None. How did you learn about sex growing up? (laughs) I didn't learn from my parents, and that's not to say they didn't tell me, but I have no recollection of having a conversation. I want to say in fifth grade, we had a class where they separated the boys and the girls for maybe an hour and talked about body changes. And then starting in sixth through eighth, we had a special uh, section in health class that would go over body changes. They did not cover all the topics I would consider relevant or that I as a parent consider relevant but they strictly uh, kept with physiological puberty changes mood changes hormonal levels we did cover contraception we did learn how to put condoms on bananas Um, and I believe I saw a dental dam for the first time which was baffling that was the extent of the sexual discussion and it really wasn't ever something that got talked about with my my friends, you know, the girls. We didn't talk about it. One thing the health teacher did that I thought was brilliant and so simple was at the beginning of class, she'd pass around a little cardboard box and everyone would write a question on a piece of paper and put it in. And if you didn't have a question, you just handed in a blank sheet. So everyone was seen putting a question. And then she drew them out and she answered them. That's how I learned things. People would ask things about uh, discharge or about menstruation or about risks of pregnancy. All the questions that, that one has. But you might want to be anonymous about you asking might, them. Yeah, yeah, you might want to be anonymous. And it might also not be something where the curriculum was really pointed toward it. But this teacher, her, her goal was the education of these children. And uh, she answered them just the best way I thought I thought she could have. I really uh, admire that. That's great. That she did that, yeah. So did you, uh, growing up, did you have any pressure to wait to have sex till marriage? Any religious views on sex? I didn't. That's interesting to think about. My father was Catholic but had stopped going to church, kind of uh, realizing my mother wasn't super into it. I didn't do any religious reading. I'd read the Bible. I'd read the King James Version simply because I was intrigued by it and really connect it to the human condition at all and I still don't. No. I'd had I'd had no I'd had no pressure, nor did I really have friends who were doing things at any different pace than I was. We were all kind of dancing around the issue and you know, we were probably all destined to have sex in the next two, three years. It sounds regardless. like you had um, a generally positive low pressure environment considering sex while mm-hmm. you were in high school. Mm-hmm. I would say that was true. It was not a big part of my life. So then it happens. Then it happened. Uh, so can you tell us whatever you're comfortable telling us about when it happened? Sure. It was actually, it was actually fine. I was at my house. Um, my parents were not there, which is hopefully obvious. Sure. Um, I don't think that's everyone's case. That is not everyone's case. And I have had an instance of having to um, hide a boy, different boy, in a closet Wait till my parents went to like get dinner ready and then scuttle him out. Never realizing his car was parked in the oh, You didn't think that. No, through. I didn't think a whole lot of stuff through. <laughs> um, anyway, different boy. This boy, we were in my room, 
And he said, are you ready to do this? And he alluded to it before. And I said, I am. And he said, are, are you sure? Like he was as solicitous as a boy in 1988 can be or Great. could have been, which is a whole lot less solicitous than they need to be right now, I think. But he, um, he was asking uh, all the right questions. He was very considerate. And I think it was probably missionary. I'm guessing, right? Because that's pretty, pretty much all that I knew existed at that time. I think he had me go first, which was smart because I was about to be in a little bit of pain. Uh, and then he went and it really didn't hurt much. And I will actually say this about like childbirth too. is like a lot of stuff is not as bad as you think it's going to be. It's just kind of like a stretching and a releasing. And he's like, are you okay? And I said, I remember saying, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. So he um, is finishing up and um, there's a knock on the door. I have to answer it because it, I mean, if it's my parents, we need to, to start constructing some stories here. So I uh, put my robe on. I, I put on my mother's bathrobe because as a 17-year-old girl, I don't have a bathrobe, put on my bathrobe and my, at the time, best friend is standing at the door. And she said, hey, I was driving by, saw, you know, saw your car here. What are you doing? And I saw a gentleman's car here. And I said, I'm losing my virginity. And she goes, oh, I'll come back later. So then I go back in the room and we're just kind of lying there. And I think back, like, this is, this moment happened. What do I remember about this moment? And I think back that there was a song playing on the radio. Now, this was back when you had a giant boom box and it got one FM station and you listened to that station. And I will tell you that the DJ that was playing that day is the same DJ that is still at that station in <laughs> Philadelphia. And the song that was playing, I realized at the moment that we, you know, pierced the veil was Carry On My Wayward Son by Kansas. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't a choice. That, that was the great well, thing is it was just serendipity, right? Mm-hmm. So every time I hear that song now. So, yeah, we just kind of uh, sat there and he checked in with me and how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? And he left. And I didn't feel I felt more informed I'd say I felt more informed um I didn't feel any more emotional pull toward him again which will be made clear later and I also didn't feel I really needed to keep it a secret so the next day you know what it wasn't the next day it was several weeks later I was I guess around graduation I was talking to my mother in the kitchen and she happened to ask me if I had lost my virginity, because that's the age where you probably start sniffing around there. And I said, yeah, actually, I did with so-and-so. And she goes, oh, him? And I said, are we really focusing on the right thing here, Mom? Which I have probably said to her 30 times. And she said, I don't know. And I said, Mom, I'm not going to marry him. It's fine. And then she said, well, what else have you done? And I said, I'm not sure what you mean. She said, have you ever tried cigarettes? And I said, once, it was gross. And she said, have you ever tried pot? And I said, no, have you? She said, well, sure. And then she just launched into this other story of my my 
parents' abortive attempt at experimenting with marijuana in their 30s or 40s. I don't know how old they would have been. 2037. She was 41. And I said, she's trying to get off the topic. We're not going to be talking about this anymore. And we never talked about it again. Did you tell your friend about it? Well, the one knew. Um, I think I did. I think I did. And I don't, I mean, they didn't throw a party. I don't remember. We were so, I mean, I think you know this. We were so focused on our own drama. Mm -hmm. We had so little time for observing the condition of those around us. Did you, how long did you keep dating him afterwards? Not long. It's actually a very interesting story. I was about to head off to college, and he had one more year of Were high you school. going far away? To I was. I was going about 10 hours away by, by car. I was oh. go- going up to a different, different state, up into the Northeast. And um, this wasn't going to continue. I think that was clear. And I kind of tried to talk to him about that. And we were sitting outside his house in his car. He had a Ford Escort GT. It's a pretty sweet ride. And um, I sat and I very fumblingly tried to say, I don't think this is going anywhere. We'd also never said we loved each other, which is, I think, telling. And they were playing, uh, who who played that? I Will Be the Flame. Was that Poison? I'm going to go with Poison. Okay. It was like a butt rock band. So again, 1988. And it's a song, has this line, you were the first, you'll be the last. Which is like, what, can I swear? Yeah. Was, okay, it's total bullshit, right? Yeah. Okay, he was the first. He knew he wasn't going to be the last, and I wasn't even his first. So this song is playing, as I say, I don't think this is going anywhere. And he starts to cry. And I was like... Oh, no. Yes. I did not call that one. As in those hopefully rare situations where we make other human beings cry, I just stared through the windshield and waited for things to stop couple months later, as I went off to college, I got a beautiful letter from him out of the blue telling me a fairy tale. And it was a fairy tale about a knight and a princess and the fact that at the end they separated, but the knight always held the princess in his heart and wished her well. Oh, that's very sweet. It was amazing. He accepted, mm-hmm. he accepted the turn of events in as urbane and sophisticated a way I could imagine a 17-year-old doing, which should have been an alert to me of how he was going to be as, a, as an adult male, which was, you know, a wonderful person. He's a great person. So you guys are still in touch? Mm-hmm. We are. We weren't for years. It just didn't come up. I didn't know what happened to him. He got in touch with me on Facebook. And as I say, married, uh, he's married to what seems to be a wonderful woman, three kids. He works in uh, technology, very well read, very uh, tuned into animating comic book culture, and just seems to be a great guy. So I guess I lucked out. When you're talking about it, it sounds like you have fond memories thinking mm-hmm. back about that. I think part of not necessarily emotionally connecting with people at that age, there is a good side, which is I didn't tend to have a lot of negative interactions with people. That's true. The drama can't be too high if you're not emotionally invested in it. Yeah, yeah. You don't get a lot of the, the, the good highs, but you don't get the low lows either. But eventually you go on to connect with people. Eventually I do. So maybe if you want to take us through that transition. Sure, sure. So I, I spent, so I, I went off to college and I spent, I guess, the next two years or so, um, trying to see if I could make that sexual experience with men 
uh, more fun or connective. I had started to realize there was, I don't want to call it a problem. I had started to realize there was something different about me and I didn't know what it was. And I knew that my sexual experience was mechanical. I was very good at it. I have gotten positive reports from all, from all comers that I was good at it, but I had gotten repeated questions about whether I was doing okay, enjoying it, wanted to stop. Hmm. Messages I didn't know I was sending. I figured the more you did it, the more likely you were to find the one with whom it made sense. Hmm. So maybe you were just waiting for the right person. Maybe that was it. Yeah, maybe that was it. Bad connection. Yeah, Just, just not feeling it. Acting insensitively toward people. And I had an instance where... So another very wonderful, honest person in my life uh, broke up with me after sophomore summer, so the junior fall. And the reason he gave is he said, I never really felt like you cared about me. Well, that tore me up. And I, as, I, as I say to friends a lot, I think the things that really make us react violently and negatively are the ones that have the kernel of truth in them. He hit on it. I didn't care about any of these people. I cared about them as human beings, but there was no sexual pull. Sure. And he didn't deserve to be in a relationship where that was the case. So I, uh, I was a, I've always been a musician. I was singing. Um, I sang with an acapella group, sang with a glee club. And um, I noticed a woman there at the, in the group who had joined that year. So she was two years behind me. I was a junior in college at this point. And we started talking, had some some fun. We didn't have a whole lot in common. We were at the same college, sang together. Actually, born in the from the same state, but not the same part. So I didn't think too much of it. And we started talking more and more. And I said, I want to spend a lot of time with her. And I had not had any sexual urges toward girls or women growing up at all. So, so it hadn't crossed your mind before it, then. It had not, and I, I will tell you a couple other things that are, that are a little bit surprising, maybe. Um, I had never had that urge. I did not know what it meant to have a same-sex urge. I had not had that covered in health class. Of course. I had not read a book. I had never, I had met one gay man, and I had met no lesbians. I didn't know it existed. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know to struggle with it because it didn't seem like a thing. And... Um, so there's a whole lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. And then um, I realized that drinking a lot helped me make more confident decisions in this realm. I was chatting with her at a, a party, and we knew each other pretty well at this point. And I drank about half a bottle of Mad Dog, which seemed to help. It's an yeah. intense choice. Yeah, it turned out to have been. And I, I took her outside, uh, out out by the party, and I said, it's okay if you don't want to, but, but can I kiss you? And she said, sure. So, there you go. And then the <clears throat> shortly after is when I actually lost my virginity to her, which took a whole bottle of Manischewitz. Where did I find these? I've never seen these liquids before or since. Why do you think you needed to be so drunk for that? So... As I said, I'd never encountered anyone with these urges. I'd never read about it. To me, it was, uh, it wasn't an abomination, but it was an aberration. 
this didn't quite make sense to my primitive understanding of how the flow of life would go for a young woman. And so I was engaging in something that seemed, while not to be judged, to be so off kilter and, and so maybe misguided that I really needed to not think about the ramifications of having done it. Mm, and this okay. was a way for me to do that. I'd never used alcohol to temper my decisions before, and I haven't done it since. So we, we probably slept together four or five times. And the description I use for this, and I, I did not make up this description. It's something I saw years later in a television show, is that my life was black and white. And then pretty much the moment I kissed her, my, my life went into color. Everything appeared in color. And sex was what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was uh, fun. It was uh, risky. It was gratifying. And then I noticed that I was definitely the one experiencing those. But for her, it, it pretty much stopped at fun. And I was very intense about it. And I asked her about it once. And she said, well, it's just, you know... She said, I like to connect with lots of different people. And she, she had what I, what I would still say at this point was a more sophisticated view of sexuality than I did. I was experiencing a cataclysmic life change. She wasn't. Right. It was all new to you. It was all new to me. It was all new to me. And probably about two, three weeks later, she said, why do you need to be drunk every time you come over? And I said, I don't. She said, yeah, you, you do. I'd like you to be sober when we get together. And I'd like to be able to walk around with you and hang out with other people. And I said, well, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, keep in mind, I had never met a lesbian. I never met anyone doing what we were doing. She introduced me to a number of them who were hidden on campus. And one of them knew who I was and said, oh, we've been waiting for you to come out. I said, whoa, whoa, what? I don't know what? I don't know who any of you are. And all of a sudden I realized there was a threat associated with being the way I thought I might be. I could I could lose it all. Now, this is 1991 conservative campus. Ignorant, you know, for, ignorant perception or, you know, perspective on my part. Well, if you didn't even know to think that it existed, you couldn't even consider the pros and cons or the good and the bad of... I couldn't. Being a part of that environment. That's right. And there was no community for me to to connect with because the, at the time, the um, what I would call the LGBTQ community there was militant. They were underground. They had to be. They were underground. They were militant. And there was maybe one, probably two or three women I later connected with that I knew were involved in it, but it was male-led. Shocker. And... I said, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be a part of this. And the woman said, well, I don't want to be a part of this then. And I absolutely give her credit for pushing me out of the nest there. It was the right thing to do out of self-respect. How did you feel about it at the time? Um, I was destroyed. I was destroyed. I tried to come out to my father. I thought that that could rectify the situation because by putting my arms around it and admitting it, I could engage with this group. I could engage with her. And I was already... Savvy enough to realize, I don't think it's just her. <laughs> All of a sudden realized the captain of the women's basketball team was super attractive and developed a really strong interest in the team. And check out the scores, email her saying, uh, thought you guys did a great job last night. And 
That's really sweet. Who are you? (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, had a had a work partner in a in a group project that was that was gay and that was partnered at twenty or twenty one and just used to look at her a lot with fascination. Um, Not even sexual fascination. Just what is this that's come into my life? There are people who do this, who are this. Um, So I tried. And I literally cut, cut off my sentence halfway and said something else. Because I said, this can't be the case. This, I bet I'm wrong. I have a sample size of one. So I stopped. Mm-hmm. And that was the really far less clinical, more emotional, more uh, deep and meaningful loss of my virginity. But I, I do have... And ultimately, slowly set me on a life course. But I do have really, really fond, kind of innocuous, almost childlike memories of losing my virginity to the male. Mm-hmm, the first time. In my life, that first time, yeah. Yeah. How long after you lost your virginity to the woman did it take for you to come out and live that life? 24 years. A long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've actually I've actually done a podcast episode about that um, at twice. <laughs> I was interviewed by two separate people about that, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But a lot of the main reason comes down to the fact that I was not convinced it was true. And if I were to be wrong and to take that step, I'd not only have to re-examine that, but I would have to kind of walk that back with friends and family at the time i thought it would put my career at risk my you know whatever that career was going to be i was a very influential person on campus i was very afraid of that falling away and i th- i think that's potentially true that that would have happened i didn't have community support i didn't have literature at my fingertips it was a completely foreign construct to me and i did quite soon after meet a man that I had a relationship with for ultimately for three years um, where I shared that information with him we talked about it uh, he was very supportive and understanding but both of it thought it, both of us thought it was in the past I later married I did not marry him but I later married I was married for 15 years I had two children and again talked about that with my future husband and the twinges of that were returning of this isn't right this isn't right this is clinical you don't feel this i ignored them because i said he is such a good man and he is a good man he is such a good man that's in the past that was a phase this is this is how you need to be and as we all know then you get to the point where you you need to do what you need to do to save your own life uh, at the time uh, that you lost your virginity to the woman, did you think of it that way in terms of virginity? I did. Yeah? Yeah, I did. I mean, she wasn't doing anything physiological, but I'd never, I had never kissed another girl, had the urge to, had anyone touch me sexually. It had never, literally never crossed my mind. And it was all very... It was all surprisingly foreign, considering I have the same parts. It was very, very confusing. And I I empathize with any straight men who are having sexual adventures for the first time because we can be baffling. We're, you know, mountainous and dark and deep, and there's lots of 
things going on at the same time. You can lose your balance and fall. And so, yeah, but, but that too is wonderful. You only get that feeling once, that discovery. And it's, it's great every time afterward. I mean, I'm in a relationship now where it's, it's still amazing, but you're only discovering things the first time. So it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun subject to study. That's for sure. If you were going to give advice to someone the day before they're going to lose their virginity, what would that be? I would say, think about your motivation for doing it and don't judge your motivation, but be super aware of why you're doing something. My reason when I speak about losing my virginity to the male was clinical. And I was clear on that. Be super clear that this is not going to cement your relationship with someone. So if your motivation is the retention of a relationship, be careful. Maybe talk to someone you trust before you do this. If your motivation is fear, talk to someone you trust. If your motivation is that you really, really want to, and it feels like the natural evolution of the relationship, full speed ahead, be safe always. But there's nothing... There's nothing shameful about consensual sex. I wasn't 18 in my state. That was fine. Uh, So if you feel like you can handle the risks and implications, just really understand what's leading you to this moment and then seize the moment. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of VCard. If you would like to tell your story, send an email to the virginity podcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear the story of this woman. You know, and then like all the other stuff I was doing on dates in high school was awesome. Like, 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 like fingering and then like guys eating me out. Like, I didn't see any reason to have sex because I was having like orgasms and it was great and I didn't have to like worry about pregnancy or diseases or anything.